0: Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. If you and I were to sit down and we were to think, I bet that you and I could come up with probably a thousand words to describe people who are followers of Jesus Christ. But today I want to focus all of our attention really on just one phrase that we as his followers carry with us, and that is the word expectation expectation now expectation or what is expectation well if anyone in here today is a Georgia Bulldog fan then we all know what expectation is right well we also know what disappointment is but we'll talk about that maybe a little later but what is expectation think about expectation for just a minute And I'm not an Auburn fan. I'm a Georgia fan. Let's put that clear. All right. Let's think about expectation for just a minute. Expectation is the hope that carries us all through this life. And as believers, the expectation that you and I have is this hope that carries us all through this life that assures us that no matter how good it is, is nowhere near the good that it's going to be. When Jesus comes, And makes this world his very own. So all of these high hopes that we have for a future. What does that do for us? What does expectation do for us? Expectation guides us. Expectation determines us. Expectation carries us through. These hopes that we have for a future. It determines the pattern of our lives. We live a certain way. Based on the hopes that we have. And if there's any dreamers out there, maybe like me, maybe you're a dreamer, any of us dreamers, you've probably had a moment where you've experienced a time when those expectations were not met, like last night when the Georgia Bulldogs got slaughtered by the Auburn Tigers. All of these dreamers out there, like you and me, we've probably had those moments where the expectations are not met. We've probably experienced that great distance between reality and expectation And the feeling that we faced is something that we call disappointment. I don't know about you, but I don't like disappointment. I don't set out to fail. I don't think anyone sets out to fail. No one likes disappointment. And let me just say this, standing behind this sacred desk today with God's Word open before His people, let me say this today as a gospel preacher, I have a message for you today. God never disappoints. He is worth every bit of your expectation, all of your hopes, all of your dreams, everything that you have. Just go ahead and give it all to Him. He will never disappoint you. You know the feeling that I'm talking about when I mention expectations for us, right? We all know what I'm talking about. But let me just say this, for example. When you're at a wedding, and uh, there are many things you probably expect to see when you walk into the wedding. For example, when the back doors open of the church and you start hearing that wedding march... What do you do? What do you expect everyone to do? You expect everyone to stay seated, right? No. Everyone stands and then they all look at the back door towards this bride who's coming down to meet her groom. That's a beautiful moment. Or maybe when you're in a concert hall and the choir and the orchestra, they're playing this specific song that we hear about this time of the year, Handel's Messiah. What does everyone do when you start hearing that? Everyone stands on their feet. That's sort of what the expectation is. Everyone stands when they hear the hallelujah chorus. Or maybe when you go to your granny's house for breakfast. Maybe if you were like me, when you went over to granny's house, you expected biscuits. And you were disappointed when you arrived if you found out that granny was on a diet why do we expect such things? Why do we do that? Because we know when significant things come to us. Why do we have these expectations? Because these moments are significant. A, a beautiful bride adorned in white, walking an aisle to meet her groom. This regal church music that's played in concert halls and in all kinds of different places. This regal church music that's played that has been stirring the affections of worshipers since... 1741, or maybe it's something so simple as the comfort that a granny's homemade biscuits bring. All of those moments are significant. So here's what we're doing today at Oxford. We're continually looking at the Protestant Reformation, and so we've been looking through the lens of Peter to show us how the good gospel of grace has a bearing on every part of our lives. And so if you have your Bible here today, would you mind taking your Bible and turn to the book of First Peter? And what we're going to do today is we're going to finish the first chapter of Peter, and we're going to look into the second chapter. So we're going to look at 1 Peter 1, 22, through chapter 2 and verse 3. And I want us to see that Peter has a message. And that message that Peter has is this good news of God saving us through sending the Son to be crucified, to be raised, and to be ascended. And he's telling us that not just that message, but that happening and the declaration of that message should have uh, something to do with every part or every portion of your life. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about how this good news affects our expectations, especially when we come together in a moment like this and worship. So let's read the Bible. Hear the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere, brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains. Forever, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. Thank you for your word that gives us such a future, that gives us such a hope, that gives us such a glorious expectation. May we learn your truths and thereby learn you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know all of us here today are people of expectation. You're here today expecting something. You got up this morning, you shaved, bathed, at least I hope you did in some respect, put on your nice clothes, came to a church service like this. All of us have expectations when we come to a church service like this. And as we study the Bible today, what we're going to see is God wants to center our expectations to ensure that what's guiding our expectations is His Word and not our preferences. You see, here's the difference. His Word needs to guide our expectations so that our preferences won't be unguided by His Word. Because we can be sure of one thing. One thing's set, fixed, and established. That's His Word. The other thing, our preferences, well, you know, they may come, they may go. Your color today may be purple. That may be because you're wearing it. Tomorrow, the color may be red just because that's the color that you have. Preferences may come and go. But here's the thing. Hopefully this morning... Hopefully, your preference this morning is a posture of surrender. That's hopefully what you prefer. Hopefully, your preference and expectations are aligned with God's hopes and expectations. Hopefully, your preferences are aligned with His Word. But we can't be so flippant to think that we can just say that. We have to work real hard to make sure that our preferences are His Word, if that makes sense. Because His Word has to stand over us. We don't stand over His Word. The Word is the authority. We are not the authority. And let me just say this. A church who expects the good of the gospel is a church who has the highest expectations. And a church that expects the highest good is a church that will never be disappointed. But the opposite is true. A church guided by the preferences of people will always be disappointed. And not only will they be disappointed, they'll be disappointing. Tom Rainer, the executive of Lifeway, on his blog back in 2015, he, he put together a list, and I've shared this with some on Wednesday nights, but I figured I'd share it with some of you as well. Back in 2015, he put together a list of the top 25 silly things that church members fight over. I want to read some of them to you. Number one. So as I read some of these, I want you to tell me if you think these people have high expectations or not. Number one. There was an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Number two. A fight over whether to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Number five. A church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. Number 10. There was a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. Somebody finally gave a dime to settle the issue. Number 16. An argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Number 22. An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. And number 24, a fight over whether to sing happy birthday each week. Now those things, there's, there's a bunch of them. I picked some of the ones that I thought were some of the most ridiculous. Those are silly. Those are absurd. It doesn't take us long to look at that and say, is this really what people talk about? But maybe some of you have been in churches like that where you know that that takes up a lot of the time of talk. Silly, absurd, and I'm glad that we can laugh about those things. I'm glad we can come together and sort of shake our head at what you know goes on in some churches. And the reason I think that we are able to laugh, and because we know that those things aren't, they aren't worth anything. Who cares, really? So today, as we think specifically about our expectations as a church, not just when we come to church, listen carefully, that's important, not just when we come to church, but our expectations as the church. what I want to do from this passage in Peter is I want to give you six expectations, six expectations we should have as Christ followers. And as we're going to see, all of these expectations arise from Peter and all of these expectations are centered on the gospel of grace. So number one, we expect to gather. Now, look here. The church is not this building. This building is the place... That the church gathers. This building has a purpose. That's a pretty high purpose. This building's purpose is to be the gathering place for the community of Christ to gather themselves and center themselves on worship. Not just for the community of Christ, it's for the entire community so that they can see this place, this church, this beautiful brick church sitting on the hill with this high steeple, so that they can look up and they can think, hey, when they go by that church, hopefully they think that that church is a church that is centered on Jesus. People think about Oxford Baptist Church as they pass by. They know that when they gather here, the hero of this church is Jesus Christ. And not a people guided by silly preferences, but Jesus. When I arrive on Sunday. I arrive with such high expectations. I do. Here I've been studying and praying and thinking about you and thinking about the Word and thinking about the power of the gospel and the salvation and the the power of the proclaimed Word and how the gospel of grace is a transforming message. I'm giddy. I am. The night before, some nights I have trouble sleeping because I think about this moment where we all get to come together. I get to say hello to you the first thing. Then we get to go into singing and I get to hear you sing and I get to hear the praise band play and the pianist and uh, Steve play the, the piano. And all and the choir sing and then we get to come together and pray and hear the word read, and then we get to preach, and then we have this expectation afterwards. I'm getting, I'm excited. I, I can't wait for these moments. I, I really can, because here's the reason. When, when I look out from here, as I look at you, looking back at me, you know what I see? I see a miracle on display. The fact that you would choose, and it's not just a free choice. It's a choice that you were guided, into making, the fact that you responded to the gospel of grace and even this morning, you had a choice. You could have hit the snooze button. You could have cut on the news or whatever you watch on Sundays. You could have stayed home and done whatever, but the fact that you chose to come here, you could have been any other place, but you chose to come here. I look out and I see the power of God's transforming grace all over this place. Now, some of you here today maybe for the first time maybe maybe you don't know us maybe we don't know you but i see even the ones that we don't know that come into this place as a potential of god's miracle of grace the fact that we would come here today and worship this invisible god who's made himself known through the incarnation of the son that's what we're all experiencing right now where we cast our hearts upward towards heaven are gathering to worship. You know what this is? This is a display of the glory of God. I don't know why anyone wouldn't love this. If you really are expecting the right things. If you really are having your hopes set on Christ. I don't know why anyone wouldn't love coming to church. Just last week I... Run ran into a guy who was, I think it was last, uh, last Thursday, it was recent, I was running into a guy that was telling me a little bit, about his, uh, little bit about his story. And he was telling me uh, his story, and he used a phrase that a lot of church people use. He said, man, the Lord, the good Lord sure is looking after me. And I looked at him, and I, I said, so you're a believer? He said, oh, yes, oh, yes. So my first question to him was, oh, great, where do you go to church? You know what he said to me? He said to me, he said, uh, "I don't go to church, but that doesn't mean I ain't a believer." Why would my first question to him be, "Where do you go to church? Am I right to have that kind of expectation? Maybe I need to rethink my question. Maybe, uh, maybe I need to ask him something a little different. Maybe I, need to, uh, maybe I need to say it differently. Maybe I shouldn't have asked him if he's a believer because even the demons believe. Maybe I should have said, are you a follower of Jesus? That's what I should have said. Look at verse 22 in, in chapter 1 of Peter. Notice this. Notice what we've seen in the past. Notice the shift from the personal to the corporate look go, look back just for a minute look at chapter 1 and verse 13 he says prepare your minds for action he's still talking to the the church as a whole but specifically there is verse 13 he's talking to individuals but look at the shift from the personal to the corporate verse 22 having purified your souls by the obedience of truth then he says for a sincere brotherly love love one another do you see that do you see how the bible shifts from the personal to the corporate There's a place that you and I can express that love that God's calling us to, to one another. And you know where that place is? It's every time we gather. And look what God has done by the people who came before us with one dollar in the bank account. Well, look at what God's done to give us a building like this that is debt-free, that the church, those who love Jesus, can come together and express that self in this place. That's what we get to do every time the doors are open at Oxford Baptist Church. Did you know that your church attendance is a witness to Christ? Not just to the world, but also to everyone else in the church. What if, beloved, what if a major reason that you came to church was because of that person sitting next to you? Look around just for a minute. Look at that person sitting next to you. Look at that person in the back of the church. Look on the left. Look on the right. Look all around. What if one of the major regions that you came to church was because of them? Now, you know a little bit about my background. We've been together for some time now. You know that I come from a large church. I've heard some of you say, and I still have trouble understanding this, I've heard some of you say that I don't want a large church. You don't know anybody. But let me ask this. How many of you over here on this side really know the story of this one over here? How many of you back here know the story of that one back there? What if the reason that we came to church was for someone else? What if we all came to church for the sake of love? By the way, did you know that's what we call this when we talked uh, back a few years ago and we decided that we needed a new mission statement and all the rest we said that we were going to say that Oxford Baptist Church exists to do this and exists to glorify God by making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and we said we're going to talk about that process how we're going to put that process together it's going to be love grow go love refers to this time where we all get together and express our worship upward grow comes to that time when we go grow in fellowship in Christ's likeness and then go is that expression where we go outward the reason that I chose love the reason that I put love before you, the reason that we chose love together is because this is what this moment is. It's a moment where we are saying that we are coming to church for the sake of love. We're coming to to church for the sake of God and others. And if we all came to church for the sake of love, then our entire, listen, our entire culture of Oxford Baptist Church would shift. What is the greatest commandment? Love God with everything that you are. What's the second commandment that's like it? Love your neighbor. How? As yourself. Well, what is yourself doing? Pouring all of himself, herself into the affections of God. So here's the question. Where do you fit into the equation? Are you then a giver or are you a receiver? When you don't gather, when the church gathers, you are not only hindering yourself, you are hindering others. People who are motivated by the gospel, that's the way they think. They think about others. They think upward first, and then they think outward. Usually they don't ever think inward. Usually it's always an upward thought and then an outward thought. People who are motivated listen, I'm going to say this, and this is the truth. People who are motivated by anything else, you know who they are? They are self serving hypocrites. Don't be self serving hypocrites. Be gospel-centered lovers of God who love all people, especially the household of faith. Which leads us to our second point this morning. When we come to church, or the church should expect to love. Listen to verse 22 again. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Again, notice notice the shift. Notice the shift from individual aspects of repentance to the effect that it has on others. Then look at how it's spelled out. For a sincere, brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This type of affection that God's calling us to through His Word, this type of affection grows from deep roots this love of God compels us. It controls us. It constrains us. Look closer at the verse. This verse has revolutionary implications. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. Look at it in your Bible. Verse 22 tells us that one of the purpose that God has given us in salvation, one of the purposes of God saving us is so that we can love fellow believers. Look at what it says. Having purified your souls for sincere brotherly love, love one another for a sincere brotherly love. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. You know what that means? It means you were saved to love others. Let that sink in for just a minute. Let let that sink in. Because maybe you've never thought this way. Maybe you've only thought about salvation and all this stuff about something that happens when you die. Maybe you get to go to heaven when you die. That's about all salvation is for you. And maybe that's all you think. But this, you know what this is? This kind of thought is is far removed from the way that we often think of salvation as just something that is far removed as we are insured heaven when we die. Listen, salvation does ensure being with the Lord forever, reigning with Him, and uh, all the splendors that are involved there with Him forever. But salvation, listen... Ensures what? What one thing that salvation ensures is an earnest affection for fellow followers of Jesus. Now the Bible's clear on this issue. The Bible says if you don't love the church, you don't love God. Listen, First John chapter four verse twenty: If anyone says, "I love God," and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Then Jesus, he said something like it. He said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now that begs a question, how did Jesus love us? He gave his life for us. In what way? Sacrificially. And then listen to what Jesus said here. This is the part that we need to home in on. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Cyprian, in the early church, he summed it up like this. He I think that he summed this up in a marvelous way. Listen to what Cyprian said. He said, No one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. You say, That sounds like Roman Catholicism, preacher. Well, the Roman Catholics, they do use that. But listen carefully. You say, how are you putting Roman Catholicism in the Protestant Reformation? He says, how are you doing these? Because listen, listen to it again. No one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. And e- let me say this. Even though Martin Luther and others led protests against Roman Catholicism, Martin Luther agreed with what Cyprian said. You know why? Because Cyprian wasn't saying what the Roman Catholic Church said. Cyprian was saying what Jesus said. Cyprian was saying what John said. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to think. Who are the initial recipients of Peter's letter? Who is Peter writing to? You can go back if you want to cheat. Go back and look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Peter says that the ones that he's writing to, they are elect exiles. What does that mean? It means that the people that Peter is writing to, they are persecuted and they are suffering. They are the master's Minority. But look at what Peter does. In the midst of a swirling sea of chaos, Peter says, hey, you guys, you want to endure this suffering? There's only one way. And the avenue, the way for you to endure unjust suffering, the way for you to endure persecution is the way of love. Get together. Stand together. Love one another. And doesn't this make sense? Don't you see the genius of this? It's not rocket science. It's easy. And how in the world could we, who are the recipients of divine grace, whose hearts now beat the warmth of God's love, how could you and I not love one another? We expect to be loved and because we are loved. Now, let's do this together. I want you to say this out loud. I want you to say, I am loved. Say that. Loved. All right, now look at someone near you and say, because of Jesus, I love you. Say that. All right, let, let, we need to try that again, I think. You're easy to say, I'm loved, but when you want to say, I love you, to somebody else, look at that person beside you or someone near you and say, because of Jesus, I love you. Say that. That's better. That's better. We're getting there. By the time it's over, we'll be a church that loves one another. Bless the Lord. That's good. (laughs) Number three this morning. Expectation that we have is we expect no disappointment. I want to skip verse 23 for just a minute and look at 24 and, and 25. Now, if you have a Bible like mine, 24 and 25, and I have the ESV, and I recommend it to you highly. It's a great Bible if you're looking for a Bible. Twenty-three and twenty-four in my Bible are, it looks like a poem. The reason that it is, is it's a direct quotation from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. So let me teach you something. Whenever the New Testament calls us back to the Old Testament, it expects us to know the message of the Old Testament. Whenever you read that passage, go back and see what the original context is. Go back and see what the message is. Go back and see. In this case... The message of the original in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, which is where this is from. If you're reading Isaiah, it's, it's 66 chapters, but Isaiah 40 begins a new section in Isaiah. You know what it's called? It's called the book of comfort. The book of comfort. Now, who in their right mind wouldn't want to read a book in the Bible called the book of comfort? Doesn't that make you just want to go to it and read it? You know why it's called this? It's called this because in Isaiah chapter 40, it starts with this word. Listen, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She's received for the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. This book of comfort stretches all the way from Isaiah chapter 40 all the way to chapter 55. And if you've not read it, oh, go home this afternoon and read it. But look at this, Peter quotes this, Isaiah 40, and then look at the end of verse 25, right before chapter 2. You know what that is? That's taken away from the quote, right? So, you know what that is? That's Peter's commentary on the verse. And you know what that means? It means that whenever an apostle gives commentary on the Bible, he gets it right. He gets it right. Look at what he says. Look at the way he interprets the the book of comfort for us. Look at verse 25. This word is the good news that was preached to you. In other words, you know what he's saying? This is your message. This is the message that was preached to you. The message of the apostles is Jesus according to the Old Testament. Now, here's where the expectation reaches a peak for us. What are we called? Elect exiles. And even in the midst of exile, even if we suffer, even if we are a persecuted minority, we are the privileged people of God who are the recipients of a salvation that God has been bringing to the world since He laid the foundations of the world. He says, this message that was proclaimed in Isaiah, this is your message. This is the good news that was preached to you. It's yours. Now, we don't have time for this today, but all, let me just say this. All the promises of salvation from the distant pages of history, stretching back to Adam and Eve in the garden, they're now being realized through Christ and His church. All of history has been leading to where you and I are right now. And if we're really holding tightly to verse 25, if we're really holding tightly there, then how in the world could we ever be disappointed? You know what this means? Listen, if you don't know this, let me be the first to tell you, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you if you're a follower of Jesus, the greatest thing that could ever... I'm talking about beyond your wildest imaginations. The greatest thing that could ever happen to you because of Jesus when He walked out of that tomb, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you has already begun to happen to you. How could you be disappointed? You better have these high expectations. If you want to be disappointed then you know just go ahead and put your hope in anything else. But if you never want to be disappointed live your life loving to tell this story. I think that Kate Hankey was right to teach us uh, and the rest of the world just one year after the American Civil War ended. So you can imagine the atmosphere. Atlanta's burned to the ground where we are. They're, they're burying the dead over here in Oxford. You can just imagine what the atmosphere must have been like. as Back in that day, they're meeting in the old church in our community, which is where we're going to be November 21st. Come out and see us. But you can just imagine what must have been going through. And Kate Hanke, she she was right to teach the world to focus on the story that transcends and centers all stories when she wrote this song, and I know you've heard it. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and His glory, of Jesus and His love. I love to tell the story because I know 'tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else could do. I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it just like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song... Will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Sing it with me. I love to tell the story. T'will be my theme in glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. Number four this morning. We expect to be comforted. Now, doesn't that song and those thoughts of God's salvation, doesn't that comfort you? That's an expectation that God has given us. We expect to be comforted. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1, and I don't get to spend much time here, but I want to mention this again. The good news of God's salvation causes us to put away things that are unloving. Put away. Anything that would stifle the fires for our affection for one another. Put them away. Put away. Nothing is more disheartening than going to a church and feeling unloved by someone who says they're a lover of God. Put it away. I think Tom Schreiner says it best. He says the the sins listed... Here, they tear at the social fabric of the church, ripping away the threads of love that keep them together. And the Bible says those things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, put them away. Number five. How can we expect to put them away? Well, chapter 2 and verse 2 tells us instead of desiring envy, hypocrisy, we need to set our focus on something else. And you know what we need to do? Here's the solution. How do we put them away? Verse 2 in chapter 2, our expectation is that we should not expect envious slander, we should expect nourishing, we should expect healing, we should expect nourishment. And how does it come? It comes through His Word. Look at this, the central command in this paragraph that stretches from verse 25 to verse 3 of chapter 2, the central command of this paragraph is a positive one. Look at what it says, the central command is not put away, the central command is long for pure spiritual milk as newborn infants. And as a father of three small children who's just experienced crying babies who are hungry for milk, let me just say, that's a vivid image. What an image of dependence that this image has. I love the way that Peter says, like newborn infants, because you know what he's doing? He's reminding us of what he's already said back in chapter 1 and verse 23. He reminds us that you and I are those who are begotten of God. Now, let me say this. I don't believe that what he's talking about here, that you're thinking about Hebrews probably. This passage here, he's not talking about someone who is a new Christian. That's not what he's saying. When he's talking about these desires, he's not talking about someone who's a new Christian. Listen, all Christians, no matter how new, no matter how mature, should have the strong desire for God's Word. And if you don't have a strong desire for God's Word, you're not a Christian. Because it's by God's Word that you're saved. It's by God's Word that you're sealed. It's by God's Word that you're sanctified and set apart. And it's by God's Word that all the promises come true. It's by His Word. How do we know? Jesus said it. That settles it. And here's my promise to you. Here's my promise. As long as God gives us time together, as long as I am your pastor, I will deliver what nourishes you. Now, sometimes you may be crying because you need a diaper change. We'll deal with that another day. But hopefully, you're crying because you need nourishment. The only nourishment that comes from the good of God's Word. And as long as I am your pastor, I will deliver and proclaim, Thus saith the Lord. My prayer is that it's always clear. My prayer that it's always straight from God's Word. And my prayer that it's exactly what your hungry soul needs. Don't you be satisfied, Oxford Baptist Church. Don't you be satisfied with the church service. Whether it's from singing, to preaching, to praying. Don't you be satisfied with anything that doesn't nourish your soul by the Word of God. And here is the other side of this. Make sure that you have an expectancy to be nourished by the Word. Cry to Steve, the worship leader, and everyone on this stage. Cry to them. Give us the Word. Cry to the preacher. Give us the Word. And don't you be satisfied until you get it. Now this morning, finally... I want us to look at the last word of this paragraph in two three. Look at what he says. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. I don't believe that Peter's writing that there to make us question. I don't believe that Peter's writing that to make us doubt. I think that what he's doing here is he is writing this to make sure that when we center ourselves, when we have all of our expectations, we are met by this. We are making sure that we are having our expectations of nothing short of encountering God. And that's the sixth point. You should expect... Nothing short of an encounter with God. How do we encounter God on a daily basis? How do we do it? Now, there are many ways. Some may argue that we encounter God in every circumstance. And maybe, you know, if you say that, you're probably right. But how do you know if it's really God or something else? How do you know? There's only one way for you to know. There's only one way for you to discern and that's Scripture. You know, these people that say, I'm just going to go spend time with God, and they go out into the woods, and they say, I saw God today. Well, what I've wondered these What happens if a bird flies over you and decides to do his business on you? What, how are you going to interpret that? Is that from God? What are you going to say? That can mess you up if that's the only thing that you're thinking. We want to know what God has to say. And the only way that we can be sure what God says is in His Word. That's why we come here together to hear His Word so that we together can understand His Word. And in community, this is where theology happens. It doesn't happen with me sitting up yonder or you sitting over there. It happens in community where we encourage one another and redirect our focus on not our circumstances, but on one who transcends our circumstances, Christ. Look at two, three. This is the tip of the spear for Peter's message. This is the tip. And look at what he does. Believe it or not, the way that he chooses to center our expectations is he confronts us by alluding to Scripture. How dare Peter take us to Scripture? But that's what he does. Where's he go? Psalm 34. Uh, Christy just read it. Great job today, Christy. You did beautifully. And if you've not read Psalm 34, you should read it. And Peter describing Psalm 34 here. This isn't by accident. If you read Psalm 34, which is what we did this morning, just a piece of it. But if you read Psalm 34, then you'll see a strong emphasis of one who's standing in awe of the Lord and tasting and seeing that he's good. A sure mark of a believer. Listen carefully to me. A sure mark of a believer is one who loves to hear the gospel. If you can get over the message of the cross, then you've never been under the message of the cross. Christians love to hear the gospel. And you know why that is? The reason that we love to hear the gospel is because we love Jesus more than we love ourselves. And we're always wanting our lives to conform to our love. There's an encounter in Scripture in John while Jesus is, is on His way to the cross. I think it's John 13. Some outsiders come to Him. Some outsiders who didn't belong in the worship service. They came to Philip. And they said, Sir, we must see Jesus. Well, Philip went and told Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip, they go and they tell Jesus. And then Jesus starts talking about glory. You know, this is who we are. That story in John 13 of these Greeks that wanted to see Jesus, that's who we are. We're these people who don't belong. We don't fit in. We're these people whose lives are marked by this great expectation. We don't want Philip. Oh, but Philip's been close to Jesus. We don't want Philip. We don't want Andrew. We don't even want ourselves to be the center of our pursuits. We want the only one who satisfies our longings as no one else can be. And you know what His name is? It's Jesus. No one else, church, will satisfy your longings. No one else will let you have such a high expectation other than Jesus Christ Himself. Don't you be settled until you've seen Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. We praise You. We know that we are Yours, that, Lord, You have made us Your very own, and Lord, You've given us Reason to expect so much. You've given us reason to expect great things. And the great things that you've given us to expect is nothing short of the glory of God Himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for Oxford Baptist Church that you would center us on Jesus. Give us these high expectations. Meet all of our longings and satisfy them. And don't let us be satisfied until we have Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.